for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, I am blue. You are bright and shiny in my mind. You got me loving, hating, crazy indecision in my mind. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blasey. Happy Hump Day, everybody. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode number 18. Man, 18, like I said last week, 17. I mean, I just still can't believe it. It's, it's going great, and today it gets even better. I've got a guy on. His name's Josh Prophet. He is uh, from Western Kentucky, and this guy is—he's—he's he's awesome. He's a really cool dude. He's—he's—he's—he's he's, he's, he's my age, and uh, you know he's—he's he's all about trad hunting. He hunts with a traditional bow, and we get into talking about public land. He's been hunting public land for the last 13 years, and strictly public land. He's doing really well at it. He's last I think four years. I think he's killed really good bucks Pope and young and bigger deer and and if you guys all could see the trail cam pictures he gets it's unbelievable he sends me pictures quite a bit of all the deer he's getting and <laughs> it's pretty crazy these deer are huge he deploys anywhere from 70 to 80 cameras on one piece of land every year <laughs> it's crazy we get into that we get into talking about how he runs his cameras and how he checks them and and everything it's really cool and we also talk about the the traditional and we also get into a hunt that he had last year the first buck he ever killed with a traditional bow and it's really cool so sit tight it's a really cool episode a little bit about what's going on with me nothing really new my daughter she turns one year old today and uh you know we we did the uh birthday thing all weekend for her so time flies man when you're having fun and these kids are growing up like crazy i'll tell you but as far as the deer front, I've been watching. Uh, I've been watching the deer from afar. 
I saw Jim Abbott actually get up out of his bed the other night from the truck, and he's bedding in about a one to two acre patch of grass. I can't get to it because it's on the neighbors, but it's not far from where I can hunt. So I know he's in the area. I'm pretty sure that's where he's going to be bedding, and just hopefully him or one of the other deer comes by this fall. That's what I'm hoping. So I'm going to stop blabbering here. I want to get Josh on the phone and uh, get this interview started. All right, everybody, here we are. I've got a, a good special guest on today. His name is Josh Prophet. Josh, how you doing, man? Man, I am great. Um, just had a couple buddies over, and we were doing some shooting, and now I'm sitting here sipping on a little Woodford and uh, ready to talk big deer. There you go. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's cool. You know, I've been, uh, I haven't been able to get out and shoot my bow much just because a lot of stuff's going on. I've got a, a you know a baby girl. She just turned one year old actually today, and uh, we've been doing the 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 birthday thing all weekend. But you know I've been trying to get out and get my bow shot. I've, I shot a lot earlier this summer, and uh, usually I was I used to be that guy that shoots every night. Now I'm more of like <laughs> I can't find a lot of time to do it. But now I'm trying to do more quality arrows than quantity, you know, because it it all it all comes down to that one arrow. That's all you need. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. You don't, and really, to be honest, man, when you shoot a compound, you, you can kind of knock the dust off of it and, and still be pretty good with it, kind of like riding a bike. Yeah, yeah, and that that is true. I mean, I've been shooting for so long, and I used to shoot competitively when I was in high school and college a little bit and in the winters, and, um, and so I've shot quite a bit. And, you know, I'm always trying to just keep getting a little better at it as, you know, as I go and everything, and but it it is you are right i mean you just dust the cobwebs off it and get it out and shoot it but i do like to get out there it's kind of fun drink a couple beers at night and and uh watch the sun go down and fling some arrows absolutely man absolutely well before we get too far man you want to give a little uh little background on yourself you know and kind of let everybody know who you are and and what you're doing and where you're from sure man my name is Josh Prophet i am 33 years old and i have four kids um i live in west kentucky um i guess uh as kentucky would hold strong i'm a coal miner that's what i do for a living that's what keeps the lights on pays the bills around here (laughs) and uh i have been bow hunting since i was 15 so roughly i've been bow hunting for about 18 years um I've been hunting total for around 25 and hunting uh, deer hunting exclusive uh, public land for this will be my 13th season on public land strictly. Really? So what, what, uh, let's get right into that. What, what made you switch to public land from private? Um, there was a big shift years ago when I very first started hunting, you could knock on a door or somebody would, would let you hunt and, and private ground was, pretty easy to get on you know um i had a guy that let me hunt right behind my uncle's house and all i had to do was take him a couple back straps every year and, and i was good to go and um as that started to change man it, you know with the way that people are and seems like lawsuits and uh, what have you uh, people just wouldn't let in you know wouldn't let me hunt anymore and um i, I ended up turning to leasing and then you know 
a good lease nowadays is 20 to 25 dollars an acre and that man that's just absurd um to me i'm not gonna pay that and um i thought i would just give public land a shot and this is the honest to god true story the very first day i sat on public land i shot at what i think is the only boone and crockett deer i've ever seen and I took the hair off of his back, and I'm going to say it was right around 170 inches. And that was my very first experience um, walking on public land, and that was Thanksgiving Day. Wow. So it was uh, <laughs> a big eye-opener. And and the funny thing about that was I seen two good bucks that morning, a uh, bunch of does, a bunch of chasing, and then uh, I missed that giant. And I was just kind of like, maybe i need to try this (laughs) (laughs) well you know that first time you went out and you you saw those deer and then you you know you eventually missed what you you know what you call booner basically what what made you uh what made you or what were you thinking after that basically when you came in from that hunt that night were you like you were like shit i need to do this more often or what have i been missing like what was running through your head Man, all those thoughts. What have what have I been doing this whole time? Because everybody told me I was crazy for hunting there. That it was way over hunted. This, that, and other. And all I did, man, um, I had a little different hunting style then, but I was still kind of smart about it. I just sat down and you know looked at a piece of property uh, on the public and figured out my access route and how I was going to get my wind right and walked up in there and I'm, I missed the biggest deer of my life and. I can remember I come home and I told my buddy, I was like, man, I seen like 15 deer. You know, I missed this giant, giant deer. I've seen another good deer. I was like, you got, you got to check this out with me. And he went with me the very next time, the next time. And I don't think this may have been early December. And we seen about 140 inch deer. Wow. On day, on day two. That's unbelievable, and man. Rolling into late season. And I was just like, man, I was for it forever changed the way I looked at public land it forever changed the way i thought about what people uh told me as far as public hunting and um public land really 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 has major advantages over disadvantages so you know me growing up i've never had to hunt public land just because i've always had private land in my family uh, we have we've had a big family owned farm that we've always hunted, and public was just never really. I never really had to think about it. Um, you know, I really don't even know how the public lands are around us. You know, you hear that they get very heavily pressured hunting, and I'm in Michigan, so it's just a pressured state in general. But you know, I have been kicking around the idea this year of trying to get onto some public land. But the thing is. I don't know even know where the heck to start, and that's why I wanted to get a hold of you know guys like you and and uh, that have been doing it and just pick your brain, you know, and and just I've I've got a piece of ground close to me. It's like four thousand continuous acres of public land, but man, it is like all timber, and I have no idea where to even start. You know, it's like, I, do you just go and try to find? some sort of pinch or funnel and just set up in it and then kind of move accordingly. Like I have no idea. So that's the biggest reason why I wanted to get you on today. Um, but Hey, we can start right there too. I mean, kind of give me what you're looking at when you are going into a new public piece. Like what's the first thing you're doing? Well, number one, um, 
I like larger tract areas that um, generally has some human activity on it as far as like um, hiking trails, horseback riding. Um, I think that those type of properties um, that where the deer see um, human activity year round, I, I really think that they get more immune to it than places that do not have the human activity. Um, so I start with that first and then I, I will hardly hunt a small track and sometimes that may hurt me, but I, I like the larger tracks. And when I say by that, it's like 5,000 acres or bigger, just because generally it holds a lot, a lot more hunting pressure. Um, and, and nowadays public lands kind of become the trend and cool and, and that's what you all you read about is public land. So, um, I've seen the, the influx of, of hunting pressure. So I definitely stick with the big one and with the bigger piece. And then the final thing, the, one of the most important things is the access. It has got to have the, um, the right amount of access, the, the least access, the better. Um, I'm not real big on something that's got a different, but a bunch of access points all around it, just because hunters can come in from so many different directions. So that's, that's pretty much where I start at. So, so when you're looking for access, the access points, so let's say you've never even been on the piece and you're looking at the map, how many access points is a lot? Do you have a number set value to it? Or, you know, are you just looking at, you know, how, how are you breaking that down? I like to get on Onyx or like hunt stand. And what I do is I, I, I will look at the, that all the access points. I will know where they are and I will, I will measure them from up above. You know, this one's a mile from this one. This one's a mile from that one. The further that you can get them apart, the better, because that stacks your odds better for yourself. Because the worst case scenario is, and this has happened to me a bunch in my early days, is, you know, the secret, everybody used to tell you the secret to public land is going deep. So, you know, you get up, you beat everybody up, you beat everybody out there, you dive in, you literally spend an hour walking a mile, mile and a half in the dark. You go to get your stand set up and you see a flashlight coming down the ridge in front of you. And you're like, how in the world <laughs> did this happen to me? I've got up at two o'clock. I've drove an hour here. I know there's some, probably some listeners. It's like, oh yeah, that was me. <laughs> well, what you didn't know from, from the, from your North or whatever direction, there was another parking lot and the guy's doing the same thing. He's thinking he's got to get deep. And now here, both of you are in the early, early wee hours of the morning hunting right beside each other on the same ridge because you didn't know your access and you both tried to go too deep. Yep. Now, you know, on the access. So I had a, I had a guy on, on the podcast a couple weeks ago and he was talking about state land and everything. And, and he was talking about how he doesn't walk up trailheads. Basically, if it's a four-wheeler trail or a walking path, he never takes those. Now, are you are you in the same boat, or do you use those as well? Oh, I use them. I put cameras on them. Um, I, I like to feel like I know my deer that I hunt inside and out, and I'd probably take it to the extreme. But that reverts back to me telling you that I like to hunt places that get some human activity like people have to walk to fishing hose people hike on people ride horsebacks on horses on so the deer are used to it and one of my best setups for a camera 
I call it the fire break scrape slash intersection. It's on the intersection of two roads. There is a little white birch tree that they rub on or, or scrape on or under. And, um, man, that thing year round, I'll check that camera. Next time I check that camera, it will be loaded with deer on a walking trail that people walk on, ride horses on, and that the deer used to. So, no, I, absolutely not, man. I I'll use a trailhead. I'll use a trail. If it makes it easier for me to get there or if I can get there quieter, um, I'll do it. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing I'm trying to kick around too, is how do you go about doing this? Do you go off the main road? And, you know, he was talking about how he'll park on the south side of the road. So it makes it look like he's hunting on the south side, but then he walks across the road to the north, you know, or vice versa or whatever. And he's, trying to go incognito, which I, I get it. A lot of people do. And, you know, a lot of people don't want, you know, people to know where they're hunting either. But, um, you know, that kind of brings me another point too, is, you know, we have a lot of pressure up here in Michigan. Everybody knows it. It's getting redundant that when people say it, it's, it's just, there is. How much pressure do you get on your state lands down in Kentucky? I mean, is it a lot or how much is that? Um, where I hunt at, I'm going to say it is 75, 60 to 75% out of staters. And yes, it's a lot because in Kentucky, we got, you know, an early season that comes in the first weekend of September. So it, it offers archery deer, or I mean, uh, velvet deer, sorry. Yep. yep. And, um, you know, Kentucky is, is known for, it's a pretty good state. The one buckland, um, they got a long season. So we get a lot of people from down South and the East coast. That's what I see. I don't see too many people coming from up North. I may see a few people from like Michigan, but most people's from down South, Alabama, Georgia, uh, VA that way. It's, um, it's pretty substantial. Um, you know, you're getting a lot of, you're saying Southern people coming or coming up, basically not a lot of people coming down. I do know a couple guys from Michigan, Michigan that go down to Kentucky, but they're mostly hunting outfitters too. And I think they're more on the, actually on the East side of the state. Um, so when you're hunting these, these, these public lands, are they more hill country or are they more like flat lands? Like, do you have a preference in what you're looking for? I do, man. I I like hill country, and I only like that because I'm not a very good flatlander. Um, I've tried it. I mean, but the hill country is so much, you can predict so much more where the deer are going to be due to the terrain. So um, every every state that I've looked at, for the most part, you know, it may be a little different like out Kansas, but most of them offer, you know, the variety of, you know, whether you want to hunt farm country or, or flatland or or hill country um a lot of the ground i hunt is hill country and that's only because i feel like it stacks my odds up better for for killing a deer i, I can read it i can read the sign a lot better than yeah. i can you know what i mean it's yep it's hard to, it's hard to if you got a thousand acres that's completely flat it's kind of hard to narrow where the deer is going to walk right. versus a thousand acres where the deer's got terrain that is going to move him around nooks and crannies yeah and what does your perfect setup look like well i'll just go where the deer are it doesn't matter how much the hunting pressure is or how bad people or how uh, many people talk bad about the property i go where the deer are but i like a, a good piece of property 
that is at least 5,000 acres that has does have some sloughs on it, does have some farm country on it, and a lot of hills. Because um, it takes three things to make a, a big deer, and that's age, genetic, and nutrition. And we all know that if the deer got the nutrition, I mean, just bottom line is they just have better racks and they're healthier deer. So um, I like the hill country that's that's got that that has the ag field mixed in. Yeah. And do you guys have a lot of uh, ag land on state land down there? Because we don't have hardly any at all up here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the uh, the WMAs here, they will, depends on which one. I'm, some places take better play, care than others, but they all plant food plots. Um, they all leave standing crops, whether it be um, grain or just for forage. Um if the WMA doesn't have that, then normally I won't hunt it. Okay. And that, and that's, that's kind of crazy to me anyway, because I grew up with the state land around here that I don't think farmers can farm state land around here. And, and even if they can, I don't know any of state land around me that you can farm. It's just all timber, just straight timber, like that 4,000 acres I was telling you about. It is straight trees for ever you know what i mean right. and, and that's why i'm looking at i've been looking at aerials on this thing for the last month and a half and i'm just trying to pick out edges i haven't i haven't had time to go walk it yet i need to go just go walk it and kind of look but now i'm kind of getting down to crunch time and i don't really have much time to do it so i don't know if i'm gonna be able to do it or not but i'm looking for an edge from you know or some some type of funnel or something that people might be overlooking and and uh i've narrowed down about four or five different spots that if uh if i if i really want to like go and do it this year during season then i will i'm gonna take a uh i'm getting a saddle from uh tethered and i'm gonna start hunting with a saddle a little bit more this year um i used to hunt with a saddle back about eight or eight years ago or so and uh, i'm going to kind of get back more into it and get a little more mobile especially on state land even on private a little bit too there's there's areas i want to get into and and just kind of go hunt and have that first time in kind of feel and uh just kind of see what's in the area really right yeah i mean i, I completely understand that so so you're hunting all public land now um and didn't, didn't you say you are hunting indiana as well and i i run a few cameras over there and and only because it is literally if i leave my driveway i am 10 minutes from being across the the river and in indiana okay and i have i have public land closer in indiana than i do in kentucky okay um so i i always run a few cameras over there just for a backup plan if i was to ever kill anything early but it's the same type of terrain um a little there's less ag there's less field but it's it's hill country um and honestly the deer are probably a little bigger over there I, I get bigger rack deer over there but um i've never really hunted over there too much but i've spent a lot of time scouting and running cameras all right and and that uh that kind of brings me to another question what what are the deer like in kentucky like around you are you you know, are you uh, shooting 140-inch deer, four and a half, you know, five and a half year olds? Like, what is your average deer that you're that you're really trying to strive for and kill? Oh man, <laughs> I shoot off strictly off heartbeat. If that choker comes in and it gets my blood pumping, I feel sorry for it. <laughs> um, if 
if it's on if it's on the fence, um, I I won't shoot it. You know, if if it's a two year old, I probably won't shoot it. It generally ends up being about an average three year old is is about what I'll shoot. Um, you know, our good two year old deer will have a hundred and twenty five or hundred and thirty inch rack. Um, our three-year-old deer field dress around 170 or 175 pounds. Our four-year-old deer field dress 190 to two, 200. Um, but we, I mean, we have good deer um, all around the, the tri-state, you know, as far as where I am and across in Indiana, they're all about the same. Um, but it's, I mean, it's not uncommon for me to get a booner on camera uh, every year. Right. And, and that's all on public land, right? Like you're getting, I remember you showing me some pictures the other day. <laughs> now, these were some giants that you're getting on camera. <laughs> and, uh, um, those deer, I mean, are you, are, are you holding out for a particular deer or are you just putting cameras out just to strictly see what's there? I've only held out for one deer in my whole life. My time is very limited and it's just not practical for my lifestyle um so i'll just like to stack the odds where the bucks are you know where the most amount of bucks are but um i'm pretty strategic about my cameras um i just don't throw a bunch of them out but um basically i wherever the smallest area is that i'm running my cameras wherever the most bucks are that with the class of racks that i want to shoot that's where i'm going to be at okay and when you're putting cameras out on public land Let's say you know it's midsummer and you and you're just trying to you're trying to hone in on and and see what's there. Where are you putting your cameras? Can you guys bait in Kentucky or can you put mineral out or anything? No, no, you can't bait. Um, you can on the the state you can, but not on not on any public land. You cannot bait. So basically, I, I like to work backwards. Um, my I've changed so much over the years of how I hunt, but. Um, I'm real big. Uh, I like to know it take, it really takes three things to kill a deer. Number one, you have to know where the deer is feeding. Number two, you have to know where he's bedding. And number three is this is the most important. You have to have the time to do it. If you know where he's bedding and feeding and you have the time to hunt him, then there's no reason you shouldn't kill him. But if you don't have the time, even if you still have majority of it figured out, it's still, it's still really hard. So, um, you know, I'll get on, you know, just from an aerial perspective, say I've never hunted a piece of property. I'll, I'll find what are a couple of different food sources. And then I'll look adjacent to those food sources as to where I think they're bedding, whether it's a thicket, a point on a ridge. And I'll go out there and scout and make sure that like, oh yeah, this is the, this is beans or, uh, this is the food source they're using. So a, I've already figured out their food and then I'll work my way backwards. Um, I'll backtrack that into where I think they're bedding and I will literally physically try to see their bed with my own two eyes. Then normally I'll take a couple cameras and I'll put one out right on the food and then I'll put one as close to their bed as I can without me bumping them and be sure that I only check that on a proper wind. And then that just confirms everything for me. Like I have a deer opening day. I'm not going to say I have him pegged down, but I got him on bed to feed. Um, my cameras have confirmed it. I've literally pretty sure I've looked at the bed that he lays in. Uh, I know he's there on a Southwest wind. 
and um that's how i try to get it done okay you know and that and that's something that in the past you know all the years i've I've been running cameras until like last year i really kind of started changing but this year i completely changed you know i've i've always been trying to pattern a deer i was always that guy it's like i'm gonna pattern this deer i'm gonna figure out where he's moving what he's doing and i'm gonna kill him but i'm sorry in michigan in my opinion you cannot do that unless you have a big enough piece now if you have a big enough chunk of ground where you can manage it very well then yes you can do that now this year i've totally changed i am full on board with the in fault kind of way dan in fault and trying to find the buck beds and i've found them this year i've really started looking for them finding them and i found them and i'm staying the heck out of the areas i've already got pre-hung stands ready for them that i've had hung for the last three months or longer and i'm just trying to figure out you know i know what deer are around the area now it's just i gotta go in there at the right time and hunt them um that's kind of how i'm gonna start doing things and that's that's kind of where you know you kind of you kind of light bulb in my head there for a second when you were like i'm trying to find the food and then i backtrack how far are you backtracking is this like two three hundred yards or if you go 50 yards and you're not finding anything are you basically kind of shutting it off like what's your tactic there man you know i got me excited talking about beast mode tactics (laughs) (laughs) generally generally and all deer are different they're just like me and you that's that's why i like to hunt them but they're all different let's just talk about this this deer i'm hunting his bed to feed from where he's bedding to where he's feeding i'm going to say is two to three hundred yards tops right now now that's right now you know this is the end of august yep come october that may be different um come november that may be different um Right now, it's close, but in the fall, it may be a half a mile or a mile as the crow flies. You know, it just all depends on where they are, where the food plots are planted, Um, and that just goes back to putting your boots on the ground, doing your scouting, knowing your deer, and um, staying positive. I got you. And, you know, last week I I recorded a podcast with Greg Litzinger. I don't know if you know Greg Litzinger from, from New Jersey. Um, he is, he hunts all public land and he is like a buck bed beast mode hunter, like crazy. Um, he does the infault thing to, to, you know, to the extreme. And he was talking about how, when he finds a buck bed in the morning, when he goes and hunt that in the morning, he sits right on to where he can shoot that deer in the bed. Um, and he gets in, he's sitting two hours before it even gets daylight. He's in his stand, like, just breathing. But then at night, he's sitting, like, he's getting as close as he can, like, and it might only be 80 yards. Um, he said he's a terrible night hunter. He loves killing him in the morning. But I just uh, I thought that was kind of unique. But do you have any sort of tactic like that when you find a buck bed and how you're setting up, setting up on him? It, um... It's kind of new to me, and I've known it about it for a long time. So I, I'm not going to lie to anybody. Like I'm learning as I go. I don't have it all figured out by no means. I'm not perfect. But Infault says if you're not bumping them, then you're not doing it right. Um, 
right now this deer that i'm going to try to kill i know the tree i'm going to be in and i'm going to say it's within 80 yards so i it's i try to get as close or i i would try to get as close as i could without bumping them i mean that's just the the closer you can get to that bed the better and are you setting up in between where he's bedding and then where you know he's feeding then yep okay yep yep just more or less just trying to intersect him as soon as he gets out of his bed um it all depends on what time of year it is what the weather's doing i'm really 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 big on weather um but right now you know they're just not moving much they're not moving far um i'm gonna be in there tight i won't hunt him in the morning because i I just feel like he's already going to be back in the bed before I could get there. So I'm not even going to mess with it. I'm going to wait till the evening and I'll be there before anybody. And I will be there before he ever thinks about getting up and I'll be there as close as I can to him. I got you. You know, and, and you were saying you, was it a Southwest or a Southeast when he's moving a lot on? It's a, it's a Southwest that he's moving, that he's moving on. So when, when you get ready to go in there and hunt him, are you only going to hunt him on a southwest, or are you going to kind of push it in any other wind? I'll push it on a south wind, a southwest wind, a west wind. Um, people are crazy if they think deer strictly move 100% with the wind in their face. Um, they don't. I've seen it time and time again. I'm like, why? I don't even know why that deer's walking that way, because of which way the wind's blowing. But right. As long as long as it's not blowing directly back into that bed and semi close to to what he's was showing up on on my cameras and what it makes sense for him it makes sense for him to bed there on a southwest wind or on a south wind so any of them winds i'm going to be there but if the winds out of the east or out of the, out of the north now i'm not uh, i'll be going on to plan b okay you know and that's I agree 100% with you. I didn't. I I wouldn't have agreed with you a couple of years ago on the wind because I always thought the deer they're moving specifically with the wind cutting them, cutting their nose or something. But I've killed two bucks now, two pope and young bucks that the wind was coming from. You know the deer they they came from the east and the wind is out of the east. The wind is literally over their back, like they're walking with the wind. And I'm like. Why, why is that? So when I did that, when I killed the first one, I started looking more into it and like asking people and everything. And, and then I killed another one and I'm like, okay, this is, this isn't like a fluke thing. Like, this is weird. You know, well, I, I, what I could narrow down was I killed both of them coming out of their bedding areas, going to food. And, um, what I could narrow down was they were more in a comfortable position when the that people say they're more comfortable when the wind's to their back. They, they've never been really spooked in that area. That's like they're, you know, they're, they're, they really feel safe doing that. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but what it tells me is you can throw that wind right out of the freaking spectrum and just, you know, if you're thinking that this deer is only coming in on a south wind, not you personally, but anybody is like, I don't know. I deer to me are just like humans they you never you know some humans are very habitual and deer are habitual habitual animals i believe but i don't feel like a deer is just gonna start 
you know, moving every day in a southwest wind getting out of his bed. Now he's going to go into his bed on a certain wind to make sure there's nothing, no danger in there, I feel like. But I agree with you, man. You know, <laughs> the wind thing is, it's crazy. I just, I don't, I don't know what to think about it, but I really don't. I think you can throw it out the window, basically. That, um, that's what makes them so fun to hunt is they're all different. And just like you said, you know, some are smart, some are dumb and, and they all kind of, you know, do their own thing. Right. And that I just, now this year I've got in about an acre to an acre and a half of timber, I've got three stands within an acre of around each other. And there's three buck beds within that acre of timber and that i've found and it's probably the same buck i don't know and i just know that there's there's like four or five good deer on that farm and if any one of them is using them i'm gonna be happy but i've got stands for each win and i've got the saddle that i've got other stands like prepped ready to go like trees that i can go in there with a saddle on any other wind so my biggest point's going to be access. It's access is going to be hard on that, but I'll figure it out and just see what happens, you know? Right. Well, a lot of times what that happens is, like, you're finding those buck beds so close together. Um, I don't think it's satellite bedding, me personally. I think that's what a deer, that's probably the same buck beds. And what's happening is the deer's laying in, in, in uh, bed A, and the wind switches, so it has to get up and move to, to bed B or to bed C. And that's why you're finding beds, a couple buck beds on a small piece of property. He's just adjusting to the wind while he's laying there. That, that makes total sense, too, because the one bed is set up for a north to northwest wind. With, with I, I know he's only bedding there with a the north northwest because he's laying against a deadfall to the north of him and he's looking south, like 100%. Like, if I could, I could have ten guys come out there and they'd say the same thing. And I like, like you, I'm learning as I go as well. But I am almost one hundred percent. He's not going to look at this deadfall. It'd be stupid to look at this deadfall because he couldn't see anything. Um, and then the other bed is set up for more of like a south to east wind. Same scenario. He's he's up against a whole bunch of thick brush on the south of him, and the wind is blowing over his back where he can smell it and doesn't have to look that way, you know. Um, that makes total sense. I, I I thought about that, but I didn't, you know, they're, they're about the two beds. There's two beds that are about 80 yards apart, so literally he could be just getting up and walking 80 yards just to readjust. Have you seen that a lot? Yeah, I, I am finding that, and, and what they do is, you know, they they – they may not the deer may not move with the wind in their face all the time or it may just move at a random wind but i'm a firm believer that they're they're all smart enough to know that they need to approach it from their downwind side so you know when they're coming into their bed they're walking from their downwind side or they're jay hooking into it so they're they're coming there and they're approaching it from their downwind side you know, they're, they're checking it before they get there with their nose. And so they get in the bed, the deer lays down, he turns around. So literally the wind is, is hitting the deer in the back. So he feels safe that anything behind him, he can smell him. And now in front of him, anything that trailed him in, any kind of predator, he can, he can watch his own track or he can watch down below him. And if the wind changes, 
you know, I think he just Jay hooks or hits down wind and he doesn't go very far. He just gets that wind back in his back and, and to where he feels comfortable. And that's where he sits. You know, and have you, have you came across anything, you know, with those two beds or any beds that you've seen, but I'm, I'm trying to think like, is there, is it one buck using that bed or, cause I've got four or five deer on that farm that are three and a half to four and a half years old. And they're all running. Obviously, they're running together right now. But could two or three different bucks be using those beds, or is that one buck? I'm going to say that's one deer because if the wind's right for that bed, then he is probably going to be there. And he, if he's mature, then he's not going to let some some other mature buck, you know, bed in there. So basically, the most mature deer is going to is going to bed on that point. Now, if you find one a little ways away that you know that like a, that could be a satellite buck that's just bedding outside of him and and that he allows that but i don't think that he's going to allow another deer you know if it's not right now this time of season i don't think it's going to be any kind of other deer i think it's going to be a, a, a mature buck the dominant buck and that's where he's going to be until he's dead and once he's dead of course you know some of them think the same another buck may move right into that bed yeah but until till he's gone or or bumped on or moved out i'm gonna say that um that's you know that's where he's gonna be and it'll only be him and have you seen that at all like you know where a buck where you've killed a buck and you knew where he was bedding have you seen a new buck come in there within you know a couple days or how long does it take and you know is that is that a thing basically I don't know. Um, honestly, I, I can't speak for that. And I've always wanted to, and I and, and I may even do it, wait to the right wind. I've always wanted to put a camera on a bed up high out, out of their view because I have so many cameras I could do it mm-hmm. and just not check it all season. Literally, just leave it out till, they dro- till the deer drops his rack, go in there and get the camera and then really see what was going on. But to answer that question, I you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, and that's what you hear a lot of people say. Even you know Dan Infault says it as well, that those bucks will you know once they die, another buck will move in. I, you know I, I want to believe it because the guy's. I mean he's got a hell of a track record, so <laughs> he knows what he's right. talking about. But I kind of want to see it for you know firsthand. And who knows this year maybe I'll get that chance. I don't know. Yeah, and and that's not to say that the deer's bedded there three or four years and the deer's now six or seven years old and a, a three or a four year old buck comes in there and runs him off. I'd say that's very possible. A, a younger, more ambitious, ambitious buck comes in there and just literally bumps him out of the area. Yeah. And that's, I've got a pretty unique situation. It's, it's a one, it's literally only one acre of timber and it's got ag fields all around it, but to the East it's pretty, there's ag fields to the east, but it's like all warm season grasses and kind of thicker stuff. So there's a there's a there's like a basically a spine of of autumn olive and thick wood or thick little popple shoots and stuff like that 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 come off of that one acre that goes to the neighbors. And there's I feel like there's probably a lot of bedding in there, and I think there's probably another buck that probably beds in there. But on that one acre, I've got. I found three beds, three buck beds, which it, like you make a lot of sense saying, you know, that's, that's one buck probably with different winds and it, and it makes sense. He's probably going to rule that rule the roost right there. And, and, uh, hopefully I'll be able to catch up with him this year. 
Yeah, I would put I would put my my money on it that that's the same deer. And if you were to find a bed, maybe three or four hundred yards away, I may rule that out and say that's a satellite buck. But if you're finding three or four, or, you know, two or three beds on an acre, that small of a piece of land, I'm gonna say that's him getting up just adjusting to the wind. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. You know, and you were talking about cameras and you know off record. You and I were talking more and more about it and you run a lot of cameras don't you oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) explain explain how many cameras you run and how you do run them um i my goal is to have 50 um right now i am setting at around 30 by october i will have 40 um as a group between me and the couple buddies that i hunt with this year we run about 80 wow um yeah <laughs> how it's, do you keep uh, track it, of them all <laughs> it's pretty next level um it, everybody asked me that and basically you know when i when i set a camera right then and there i mark it on my on x map what it is what kind of camera it is and, and where it's at and then when i get home i upload it to deer lab that's how i keep up with it but um basically you know we'll start out from above we'll find all the food we'll find all the bedding We'll find the pinch points, the travels, and we'll grid it out with our cameras. Okay, we got this many cameras, okay? We got this many acres. Okay, we need one here, we need one here, and we need one here, we need one here. And then we'll go into those areas where we think we need them. And sure enough, in that general area, we'll always find a good trail or a scrape or a food source. So we strategically place them out over a grid pattern. That way, when you look from above, we have them strung out across the whole piece of property from bedding to feeding to transition areas to staging areas. And I mean, basically we just flood thousands of acres with a bunch of cameras. How many acres are you putting all these cameras on? Are you putting all 80 on one piece of public or do you, are you, they strung out on a couple different pieces? One piece. And, and I only say that because my time's limited and I like to find a piece that that is big enough and has an, everything I want. That way, I don't have to go anywhere else. Yep, I got you. Um, this place I'm hunting roughly is close to ten thousand acres, and we have about four. Th- we we will this year have about four thousand acres of it covered. Wow. Um, and when I say covered, I mean covered pretty good. Last year was about three thousand acres, and um really we didn't hardly have any new deer show up all year we had a few but nothing like a lot of guys see um what happened was is um a lot of our deer that were say far north they started showing up two miles down south on different cameras that they hadn't been on all fall and um, just to give you a general rule of thumb right now my from my furthest camera south to my furthest camera north as a crow flies is 3.2 miles wow that's unbelievable and how how often are you checking these things in the summer anyway in the summer in the summer uh maybe a a few of them once a month and we don't have them all out you know um right now i think i have 15 of my cameras 17 of my cameras out and all i'm waiting for is more time to get them out um i can only you know my time's so limited i only have four days a month to hunt scout do everything i need to do um 
so it, it takes me some time to get my cameras out but by by the early october i will have all of mine we will have all of ours in full force ready to go but we don't check our cameras much at all i mean hardly at all that's where a lot of people mess up yeah and i'm starting to realize that the last couple of years too because the cameras i use them i mean it was a crutch basically like i i relied way too much on them you know and i was telling you before you know i i film for a living outdoor television you know and out in these other out-of-state places like you can get away with putting cameras and checking them every day like you can i've seen it we've done it you know and killed big deer in michigan you can't get away with it like when you go in and check that camera that is another piece of scent that you laid down like and deer just know the cameras around here so this year I've, i've been really putting them at a far just trying to get deer so now my philosophy in michigan at least is i have two reasons why i run cameras one is just to know the deer are there two in my opinion when that picture gets taken it's historic it is over it is telling me next year what i need to do and where that where that deer or another deer how they move like when that picture gets taken you can write it right off in my opinion it it never even really happened to be honest with you so it's hard for me to to come over that because you're always trying to pattern a deer you know what i mean oh yeah and that's one reason why i don't use cell cameras because just like you said it's in the past it's past tense yeah that's what i base all my cameras off of it's past tense it's already happened there's no need for josh profit to have a cell phone camera yep i'm the same way man and it gets it gets expensive <laughs> Yeah, and the batteries don't last. Um, just to be honest with you, you know, the batteries would go dead before I would probably ever even check it. Yeah, running lithiums. Yep. But yeah, man, I I couldn't agree with you, man. A, a trail camera. I don't care if it's been a day or two weeks or what time of the year it is. It's past tense. It's already happened. And the best thing that you can do with that is is chalk that up. Know the deer's in in the area, and use that the next year. Yep, and that's kind of where I'm at for it. Like, you know, if if I get a picture on November 6th or somewhere in that time frame and and I've got four mature that I feel like are three-and-a-half to four-and-a-half-year-old deer coming through an area, well, then next year, you know, let's see if it happens again, whether it's the same deer or if they're, you know, four, three-and-a-half or four-and-a-half-year-old deer again. And if you start getting a pattern around that same time, then that's when, you know, I'm, I'm kind of – done hunting individual deer now i do name my deer because <laughs> i am on private land and i do get deer through for two to three years and that's the best way i can be like instead of saying oh that's the big eight and then i got another big eight over there and then it's like the <laughs> that's the uh that's the big seven you know i like to to name them but yeah so that's just that's the where i'm at with it i just need to know that they're there basically and then you know, and it gets my wife, she likes to bow hunt too. And her big, she hates cameras because she's like, you know, you see them all summer on camera and then you go hunting and you never see them. And it's just like a downer. <laughs> so it's the chess game. And Amanda, to touch on what you're talking about, man, people really, when they get a picture of a buck, I'm going to say 85% of the people of them, that's where, that's where it ends is, Oh man, I got a picture of a good buck or oh, that's a good picture. or Oh, that was November 6th. Man, there's so much to learn by a trail camera picture. I mean, the Intel that, that you can get out of cameras is crazy. 
and nobody utilizes it the way that they should. Like we run, I run all of my cameras on deer lab. And if you really pay attention to where they are, what the weather's doing and what time of year it is, it, it can be lethal. And it's so much more, you know, it's so much more than just getting a picture. It's so much more technical and you can learn so much by putting the work into the actual picture versus just looking at it and say, Oh man, that's a good buck. What, explain a little more on that. What do you, what do you look for technical things when you get a picture of a good deer? Well, the first thing I do is, um, I'll get home and, um, so I got 15 cards to check. That's about as most as I ever have to check. It's normally not even that many. Um, just cause I can't cover that much ground in a day, um, by my foot. Just, but let's say I get home, I'll put camera number one in. I will start a folder for card number one. All the big bucks I will put in that, that folder. I'll move on to the next one. I'll make another folder. After I go through all of my pictures, I will there I will then get on Deer Lab and I don't know if y'all know what Deer Lab is or for your listeners. Basically it's an internet software that correlates your pit your pictures to weather patterns. And it so I'll I'll upload it to Deer Lab by my cameras and by the folders. And the history that you the that you start to get off that and the information you get off that is crazy because it it breaks everything down and for you for pie graphs and percentages as far as what way the winds move the 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 deer come through on what wind uh what the moon was uh, what the temperature was and so forth so say i've been hunting this uh big daddy rabbit for three years okay I got three years worth of history. I click on Deer Lab. I have everything laid out for me. Every camera he's ever been on that I have, it gives me a better percentage of when he was there, what wind he was there. And man, that's how I go about it. Um, I put a big emphasis on it because I just can't, I can't hunt much. Right. Um, and I, I will strongly say that there's way too much technology in the woods today. There really is, and it's sad. It takes away from a lot of woodsmanship, but I do love to run my trail cameras because I can only go out there every two weeks, and so much changes. So much can change in a day. Oh, yeah. And, you know, every two weeks is a long time, and so I, I like running the cameras, and they help me, and I put a lot of value into not just the picture but the weather behind it. I got you. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, and I have looked into that Deer Lab stuff before. I've never done it, but I feel like I've never really had enough trail cams to feel like I could justify it, I guess. Um, right. I don't know how many, I mean, I don't really know how many cameras would be not enough cameras, or if you could just, obviously you got to have multiple cameras, but, you know, is four or five cameras enough? And For sure. Sure, they got different. They got different packages, man, and it keeps everything so organized, and it's all saved to a cloud. And as long as you pay your yearly membership, it's very affordable. It's it's a vital tool that I don't know I don't know personally know that anybody that uses it other than myself, and um, it's something that I'll use the rest of my life. Um, we pay four hundred and eight dollars a season. We split that four ways, so every year I spend a hundred dollars on it, and the information I gain out of it 
it's crazy. You know, right now I have three years worth of camera pictures for individual deers on uh, which wind they're coming down, which ridge, and and from A to Z. Um, as long as I have the time to get in there, man, I'm confident because of my, my trail camera strategy that I could kill the deer. Yeah, that's crazy. That's pretty cool, though, how it, like, it breaks it down and gives you graphs and percentages. You know, that's that's uh i'd like to see that you know it'd be cool to to just know that that deer is you know year after year he shows up on the second of november every year and he's daylight finally you know what i mean it's like why that's what fascinates me about whitetail so much is and like you said it changes daily the woods changes daily it really does and deer you know change year to year somewhat you know um I do have a deer on the farm. I named Jim Abbott because he's only got a good left side and his right side's not that great. But I've had him on the farm. This is the third year I, I've known about him. And and uh, he basically does the same thing. I am pretty much know where he's bedding because I've watched him from afar for the last two years and known about him for three years, but I've really honed in on him for two years. And uh, he's bedding on the neighbors. I seen him get get up out of his bed uh two nights ago from the truck just glassing and the bad thing is i know where he's bedding but it's on the neighbors so i just gotta hope he walks by (laughs) yeah that's uh that's always tough man but i mean hopefully he's feeding on you and if he's that close then you know when when the early stages of the pre-rut come then maybe you can catch him slipping your way yeah for sure that's what i'm hoping for I, i i think he's four and a half this year and I was going to kill him last year if he was present a shot, but I I didn't get to hunt the farm that much. And like I said, I'm always traveling, filming and everything out of state. And if I get a chance to go out of state and hunt, I, I take that as well, just because we've got some pretty good farms um, in Ohio and Kansas. And, and uh, I do hunt Missouri as well. I didn't get to hunt Missouri last year, but I've got some good deer out of state too. And I always like to go do that as well. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, hey, I'm going to transition here. I, I want to talk about this deer that you killed. I think it was last year, right? The the tight, the the narrow deer scored yep. mid 130s with your yep. with your traditional archery gear. I I want to I want to get into this deer. Um you know, did you have any history pr- previous history with this deer at all? No, man. I I didn't um actually I I couldn't tell you where he come from. He he didn't come from off the public because I would have known him. Um, and basically, man, that I can tell you a story on that. When you, when you hunt this public ground, you got to stay positive and it doesn't matter how many people you run into or how many people you see, or if you have a camera stolen, man, you got to stay positive because the deer are there. Um, I've never not been on a piece of public ground that didn't have multiple shooters. So you got to stay positive. That I mean, even if you're hunting par- private ground, just stay positive because positive vibes go a long way. But um, I was actually, it's, it's a weird story. I was trying to kill a certain deer last year. And I know we just went over that and I said that I didn't do it, but I had a scenario that was um, very rare. Um, I had a very big deer, a, a booning Crockett caliber deer. I'd had prior year history with him. Um, I had seen him in person a couple of times. Um, 
I knew exactly where he was feeding and almost ex- almost where he was bedding, but I just could not. I didn't have the time to hunt. I would yep. try, and uh, I was just playing chess with him, cat and mouse. I, you know, I just barely miss him. And my vacation rode around last year, and uh, the deer was running real close to to some private ground in, in Kentucky, and um, our rifle season opened up, and I went in there. I went all in on this deer. And there was one particular area I thought, if I sit right here, there's no way I will not at least see him. It, but I felt like I could kill him. If I sit here dark to dark for a couple of days, I can kill him. I sat there. I didn't see him. Um, I had him. I checked my cameras before before I started hunting. The day before gun season come in, I had him at midnight, 30 yards off the private farm. Oh, man. Yep. Yep. So I, I hunted him. Uh, three days, I think. I never seen him, I, I, and I knew I should have seen him. The deer ran a very small area, even during the rut. Um, I was right in there with his home core range. There was lots of does. There was uh, everything he needed: good cover, food. So I thought, man, I better make a quick game plan. You know, check a couple more cameras, and I checked my cameras that he had been on for two years, and he wasn't there. And I and I. I remember I checked this one camera and I looked over in this field and I thought that's where he died at. He died out there. He's not, he's dead. Yeah. I'd have seen, you know, he'd at least been on my camera. I should have seen him. So, so at that point, right then and there, man, I just put the boots on the ground. I spent the rest of the day snatching cards and scouting. Um, that was like midday. I think I checked like 12 or 13 cameras. I checked two cameras in an area that I hadn't checked, put checked checked them since i put them out in like june <laughs> so you wrote um, you completely wrote that deer off right then right you, you yeah i wrote, I wrote him dead. off yep. i knew he was dead and there was no guess there was no doubt in my mind he was dead uh, i wrote him off and um headed to an area i had some cameras i knew i hadn't checked all season uh checked 10 or 12 cameras along the way i didn't care which way the wind was blowing uh i didn't walk up and make sure i wasn't knocking knocking on the door of no uh, major betting but man i was just snatching cards and uh i got home and i checked this deer checked my cameras and i had this real tight rack deer on two different cameras of mine and uh i had him from from velvet season till about a week before i checked this cam checked them cameras he was there early november really and i was like man that's a it's a strong looking three or four year old buck, I think. And there was, there was more good deer in the area. I was like, I need to get over here. So the, uh, the next day, um, I went in for an evening hunt over there and I passed my buddy and, uh, man, he was just disgusted. He's like, man, I've been hunting for a week. I've, I'm just drained. This was literally like 12 o'clock. I was like, well, I was like, sure. You don't want to go back here hunting, you know? And, and he's like, no, nah, man, I'm just, I'm burned out. I'm going home. And I told him, I said, I'm fixing to go back here and kill a big deer. So what time of year was this again? You said what date was it? November 16th. 16th, okay. Yep. So I went back there. Um, I got in a tree. I'd never hunted in all year. I was about 30 yards from one of my cameras. Man, I, the tree I wanted to get in, I, my, the, the straps, it was a birch tree, and the straps weren't big enough so i ended up getting in this tree and i was literally seven i could touch my stand from the ground <laughs> no kidding <laughs> yeah but you you could you could you could have done a square dance in the tree and the deer would have never seen you so i felt good about it 
you know, I'm sitting there and I'm looking down this ridge. And I'm like, man, this this really isn't my style. It was a little bit more open than what I'm used to hunting. I had a little year and a half old buck cruise right by my car. And I was like, oh, man, you know, we're good. I had a good food source right behind me. I'm on some real steep terrain. If, it, if a deer's, if I see a deer, I'm going to kill him because I'm at a point to where he has to walk by me. Yeah, I was so going to say, like, so you're in, are you in like a pinch or a funnel then? Yes. Yep. And so I, and it's the rut and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm where I need to be. And it was an hour or so later, plenty of daylight. I see something out of the corner of my eyes about a hundred yards to the woods. And it, it was, I seen something nudge. And when it was this, this buck, he tried to, uh, he tried to mount a doe, but she just kind of bucked him off and she come down that ridge. And I was, uh, the ridge was so steep. I was like, she's not bailing off the side. She's going to come right. And they're coming right here in my hip pocket. Right. And uh, as he gets about 70 yards closer, I instantly see those split G2s. I'm like, oh, that's that buck off from yesterday. You know, I've, it's been here all season. And I'm like, I'm shooting him. And uh, he stops right in front of my exodus. It takes three perfect pictures of him. <laughs> <laughs> and he literally walks by me 20 yards. And, man, I just I put the pump station disconnect on him with that trad bow. And he ran about 40 yards and stopped. And uh, I watched him fall down the ridge. And it, I just punched my second tag with traditional equipment in 2017 and was tagged out. That's crazy. It was, it was, it was crazy, but just for the simple fact that, you know, earlier that year, everybody was making fun of me for making the switch to trad and tell me I was going to wound so many deer. And I'd shot at two deer and killed two deer and tagged out. And at the bottom of the ridge was 134 inch deer that was only 12 inches wide on public land. And, uh, it might as well have been a 200 inch deer. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. So, you know, you, you switched to trad last year was your first year to trad then? Yep. Okay. My first year. Because, you know, I had this, I had this wild hair that I was like, this was two years ago. I'm like, I want to get a trad bow. I want to get a good trad bow. I wasn't going to completely go away from my compound. It just be hard to do that. But I was like, I'm going to spend the money, do it, get into trad and start doing it because i really I, that's something i've always wanted to do and never really made the push i literally went to the pro shop our local pro shop picked out the bow everything had it on the counter <laughs> and my boss casey Kiefer walks in and he's like hey we didn't even know he we, we were gonna be there basically i left work and and he came like behind me and i never even knew he's like what are you doing and I go, well, I'm uh, I'm gonna buy a trad bow. And he goes, you're gonna what? <laughs> like, and <laughs> I said, I'm gonna give this trad thing a try. And he goes, get the hell out of here! You're not gonna do that. And I go, yeah, it's you know, it's something I really want to do. And about 20 minutes, he talked me out of it. <laughs> so, wow. it, and uh, you know, I still haven't made the jump. And you know, and it's something I don't know if he's ever really kicked around the idea of doing it or whatever, but he kept saying, he's like, you know, that deer's going to come out about 30 yards and you're not going to be able to shoot him out there. You know that, right? And he just kept, you know, if you knew Casey, that he just kind of prods at me a little bit and just gives me crap. But I'm like, gosh, you know, I eventually I want to get into it and do it. I've shot a lot of trad bows. My dad's got an old bear Kodiak that he's had for a long time. And I, I mess around with that, but I can't, that bow is so old and, and I, I feel like trad in a way, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I feel like 
you got to spend some money to get the 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 better equipment and it and it'll help in the process of learning and and excelling at it is that is that somewhat true yeah i mean anything in life you get what you pay for um so i've always been the kind of guy that if i wanted something i got it even if i had to save up for it but um yeah i mean qual you cannot you cannot put a price on quality yeah um you know, a thousand dollar bow is is bottom hands down going to shoot with or better than a two or three hundred dollar bow, whether it's a trad bow or a compound. Yep. So, yeah. So it might be something that I just work towards in the future. But right now and it's not just because he talked me out of it, but it's just one of those things like now that I got a kid, I just don't have a lot of time to 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 do much of anything so i'm trying to you know pick my battles and and do things more officially and honestly you know this year before you know when i run cameras we've been talking a lot about a lot about cameras when when i run cameras i'm in there checking them all the time like i said before now i'm running cameras i don't check them hardly at all because i'm so busy with my little girl or doing something else that it's like you kind of almost forget about them and it's like, ah, you know, I got, I got 15 minutes now and I haven't checked it in a month. I'm going to go back there and check it. You know what I mean? And it actually has shown that it it's <laughs> me not being in there and stinking the place up has worked. I mean, these deer and it's all summer, you know, and everything, but these deer are still daylight. I don't have hardly any night pictures of them. They're still moving the way they should be moving and i'm excited about it so it, the light bulb's starting to slowly turn on <laughs> that's right man you just gotta get after it which is first thing you do is you gotta stop making up excuses <laughs> yep. solutions yep and then number two is you take that bow down to your pro shop and you sell it and you buy you a trad bow because that's what I did. And now all you got is this stick and string. So if you want to kill and you want to be successful, this is it. Man, that's, that's so how hard. I look at it. <laughs> and then everybody like your boss, everybody like your boss, you just you just let that be fuel for the fire <laughs> for when they say that you can't do it. Because I'm gonna tell you what, if a deer comes out to 30 yards from me with that trad bow, I feel sorry for him because he's probably gonna end up in the back of that little red Nissan out there. <laughs> You know, and it, that's, I just need to go do it. it. It won't happen this year. I'm already behind the game, but I'm telling you what, man, it is, it would be hard for me to go sell my compound. <laughs> I love the thing. <laughs> yeah. Everybody said that to me, but I'm going to tell you something about trad. Hunters need to, hunters need to stick with hunters. I see way too many hunters bashing hunters. So I'm not, we got Peter for bashing each other. Yep. We need to stick together, but so, something about trad hunting is different and it is so much more honorable yeah then i mean it really is it's not really a proud thing or to make you think you're a badass it's just so it's it's honorable you're right there when you're like hunters are bashing hunters like you know for shooting crossbows and everything and only being gun hunters i've been a culprit of it it's like man why, why are you shooting a crossbow when you're 25 years old and you're fully capable of shooting a compound or a traditional archery but it's like, yeah, well, if that's what they want to do, they can do that. You know, our hunting community is so small in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, and um, if that's their cup of tea, that's their cup of tea. It's not for me, um, but, you know, teach your own, I guess. And, you know, the compound thing, it's it's definitely for me. I've, I love it. And I just don't want 
people to like you know not say they do but like traditional hunters saying well shooting a compound's cheating well we could say that about a lot of things i mean shooting a gun would right. be cheating you know what i mean like you're always going to find something about what everybody else or somebody else is doing and find something wrong with it yep i agree man but when you um when you have that bow made and you pick out the wood and you know that it is handcrafted and built with some soul behind it and you get that thing and it is literally literally five times lighter than any compound that you have ever felt in your life and it feels like a piece of popcorn in your hand <laughs> man there's just something about it it just makes it so it's so beautiful when you sit back and look at it and you're like man that this guy made this bow with his hands for me yep i picked this wood out and now i'm gonna go kill with it what what uh what kind of bow do you have um i have two bows i have a hoyt buffalo um and it's a pretty good bow but i just recently had a assassin made by big stick archery uh, bob smith made it it is a 60 inch bow at 55 pounds or it's a 60 inch bow 28 inch uh, at 55 pounds and man it is uh it is beautiful and it is it is fast and it is so smooth man it feels like i got a piece of popcorn in my hand i got you now you know for someone getting in just getting into it and hasn't shot a lot of trad what do you i mean what do you recommend and that they try you need to shoot one. Um, you need to shoot one and make sure it's something that you want to do. Um, cause there's two ways to, to shoot trad and you either shoot instinctive or you gap shoot. So basically, you know, you either look at what you want to hit, like throwing a baseball or you kind of aim and gap with your arrow. Um, I shoot instinctive and then I uh, just shoot one and make sure you like it. And, um, you know, start out cheap and start out low poundage, start out 50 pounds or lower because, you know, a lot of these guys are shooting 75 pounds with their compound, but they're also shooting 75 or 80 percent let off. Right. When you pull 50 a 50 pound bow back and you got to hold it, and there's zero let off, it's the game changer. Yeah. So, you know, start out low on your pounds, make sure you like it, and you know, just buy you a little starter bow. Um, they will all kill. You know, you you can't you can buy better bows, but um, you can't climb Mount Everest in a day so right you know you just kind of work your way up to to what you thought and that's you know that's what i did i started out i bought a good bow and i did i bought a better bow um and i was only able to do that because I, I sold my compound but a season later i got what i really want yep i got you now you you're talking about shooting instinctive or gap shooting you know you shoot instinctive so when you because i i gap shoot when i shoot a compound or a, a, a trad so i've got a buddy that's all hardcore trad and when i shoot his bow it's all gap i am trying to trying to somewhat aim that arrow now and i actually at 20 yards i'm pretty good with it like i'm when i say pretty good i'm you know i can put four arrows in the size of a pie plate at, at 15 to 20 yards now I do have a, a flyer. Every the fifth arrow, you never know where that's gonna go. <laughs> that that's, little guy that's there. That's <laughs> standard with trad. You don't ever know. Yeah, yeah, that's you shoot four, one of them's gonna go somewhere. <laughs> right, and and I feel like, you know, like you said, I've played a lot of baseball, and when you throw it, you know, you're not aiming it. You're throwing the ball. When you're pitching, you're throwing the ball. And how, like when you pull back your bow, 
you have an anchor point, but how? It's just weird for me to think about that. But how do you know that you know where it's? I mean, you know where it's going to go every time. It's it's a mind game. You have to be married to that bow. It's not like a compound like where you can't knock the dust. I can't. I'm sp- let me speak about myself. I can't knock the dust off of it and shoot it two or three times a year and be deadly with it out to sixty yards. Um, I have to shoot it almost every day. So it's a it's it is all in your mind. You know, it's just a mind game. There's been days uh, that I went out there and I shoot good. There's been days I go out there and I shoot horrible. Well, what I do is I don't just keep shooting. I put the bow down because I know it's mental. Yep. Um, you just get that tuned in with your head, you know, of what the sight picture looks like wherever you are. And then you do it so many times and, you, and, you, and you're so consistent with your anchor because you spent so much time practicing with it or blank billing with your anchor that when you pull back, that's all you need to know is, is to pick a spot, never take your eyes off of it and let the arrow go at the exact same place as you did every time before that. I got you. It's, it's just something like you said, you just got to do it consistently. You got to do it over and over and, and, and just get used to it. And then it just becomes second nature. I'm going to guess. It, it it really does, and this is what makes trad hunting so special to me, it really feels like it becomes a part of you, like because of the mind game and the mental aspect that you have to share with the bow and the hand and your eyes. Um, it just feels like another piece of your body, um, and, that's, and that's how I roll with it. That's sweet, man. That's awesome. That's really cool to – to really, you know, how you said, like, you, you sold your compound. You've hunted with a compound your whole life. You sold your compound to go to trad. And I have a really good friend that did the same thing, and I thought he was crazy. <laughs> but, you know, it's it he that's the way he wanted to do it. And um, one day, I'll get I'll get one one day and and uh, just start shooting it more and more and, and <laughs> try to get, get it dialed in. Yeah, the uh, it's a confidence game, man. The higher it may kind of sound like that I come off cocky, but the higher your confidence is I've learned the better you shoot it. So if, if you don't think that you can make the shot, you probably can't, but if you think you can make the shot, I'm going to tell you right now, you can probably do it. Um, if I pull my bow back and it don't feel good, I'll let it back down. Yep. How, you know, when the first deer you killed with it, when you pulled back on that deer, what were you thinking? I didn't, I didn't. I knew it was dead before I ever pulled back on it. That's how confident I was. Seen it was a doe. I killed it <laughs> October twenty eighth last year. I remember every detail. And when I knew that she come in and committed to this little um, pinch point that I was sitting on when she was a hundred yards out or seventy five yards out, I was already thinking, "Here's my first deer with a bow." And you know, as she come in, I picked my spot. I never took my eyes off of it. Um, I drawed back and right before I went to stop her, she stopped on her own and man, I just smoked her down. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, That's it was so cool. complete pass through. And I just did everything that I'd ever wanted that everything or that everybody was telling me I couldn't. Yep. Yeah. So. It, you know, and with trad, I got a feeling like it's, it, it can be very meticulous and, you know, you've got to play with a lot of your setup probably to get it perfect, I would think. You know, with a compound, you know, I remember the days when I didn't even tune my bow. 
I I and literally they still shot and they still shot good. Yeah, they still shot good. I I literally could go pick up uh, fifty five seventy five PVC pipe arrows right now and shoot a four blade Savora or a old Zawicki broadhead and probably with my compound and probably shoot really well with it. But you can't do that with a trad. You know what I no, mean? No, it's it's finicky. And I had a buddy down south tell me that when I got into it was hey, man, you're getting yourself into a big rabbit hole. And what he meant by that, the day of slapping the sight on, putting the rest on, cutting the arrow to the end of the rest, and shooting it was over. Yep. It um, really is. I, I'm still learning how to bear shaft. I'm still learning everything about it. i got a lot to learn. I, and it is just, man, it is. It is so much more complicated. Everybody says, well, it's as complicated as you make it. There's a lot more to it than shooting a compound. I mean, there just is. Um, you can't just get a trad bow, put an arrow on there, cut it off to the end of the riser. It's not going to shoot good. There's, you know, if your arrow's hitting left, you got to know what to do with your brace height or what spine to shoot or your FOC. There's just so much that goes into it. Yep. Man, that's that's a whole another podcast. I really want. <laughs> I'd like to get you back on too, and and talk about just trad and pick your brain on that because I do have a trad bow. Like I said, my dad's got one. I actually think I have it right here. I think it's right behind me. I got it at my house right now. And but the thing is, I don't know if the arrows I have for it are the right arrows, or you know what I mean. Like I yep. feel like you could. It's probably the perfect perfect bow to learn on and to know if you really want to do it and actually find out if you're good at it with that but i need to figure out if the arrows are right for it or you know what else you can do i should probably start looking into it <laughs> I, i'm uh, i'm your guy i could definitely get you fixed up shooting with it <laughs> for sure cheap. man for yeah, cheap, definitely and that's i've already got the bow and it's got a brand new string on it just got it restrung so i just need yeah. to get uh just need to get the right spined arrows for it. And are you shooting? Uh, are you shooting veins or do you shoot uh, feathers? I shoot four inch feathers. Last year I shot five inch feathers. Um, and there's all different kinds of guys. I don't know if you know who Matt Davis is, but he nope. shoots a two. He's crazy, man. I mean, he's shooting. Obviously, you're going to get more control out of a bigger, bigger. Uh, fletchings or bigger feathers and i think you get better control out of feathers versus veins that's why i shoot them but um the a perfectly tuned arrow should shoot the same whether it's got whether it's raw shaft bear shaft or has feathers on it and there's people in the trad industry that shoot two fletch not three two fletch two inch veins really yes because their arrows are they got their arrows down, dialed in that much to their bow. That's crazy. Um, you know, I like I said, I shoot four-inch feathers. I shot five last year. I dropped it down to four. That way I could hopefully get a little better speed um, and a little less uh, noise out of my arrows because those those feathers are, are, are loud when they're flying through there. But, man, they look good and they fly good. <laughs> hey, if you look good, you play good. Yeah, you can take a, you can take a pretty untuned arrow and – throw some four or five inch feathers on it and it's gonna fly pretty good that's cool well cool man hey i'm gonna we're getting up here in an hour and a half and you're definitely gonna come on again here maybe this (laughs) maybe this fall 
but I, yeah, I want to talk tread for sure and and talk a little more about it. You're going to be returned. I say that to all my guests because I'm going to get them all back on. I don't care. I love all the guys that I've talked to, and and uh, you know I love talking deer hunting. And hopefully you got a a good uh, good another good story and a good buck that you killed this year. Hopefully, man, I got some some trad buddies coming in this year, and we're a week away from season and. I got a feeling by the next time that me and you talk that I will have my hands on a couple of good bucks dragging them out. So I'm excited. That's awesome, man. I hope you do too. And uh, let's do this again here, maybe next couple weeks or something like that after you, your guys' season starting here. And uh, you're going to be hunting here like within, you, do you hunt the opener, do you? Oh, yeah. Uh, as soon as I can get in there, I'm going. Well, maybe we'll do one here right before I leave on dropped. Uh, we go on dropped. I'm going to be gone basically the whole month of September. But um, maybe when I get back around the 1st of October or something like that, we'll jump back on here and uh, I want to get a little update. I kind of want to find out, do the just, I'd like to interview guys from all over and, and kind of see what the deer movement and the kind of the, the rut is around them and see, you know, get someone from the south, someone from the north, someone from the the midwest and the east and everything and just kind of compare and contrast and see you know do it a couple times throughout the fall and just to see where everybody's at really sure man yeah it, um I'd, I'd appreciate it man i'm i'm glad you had me on i had fun i, I feel like we missed a lot of things but I, every every podcast i've ever done i feel like i've only scratched the surface so yeah well let's get farther into it next uh, next time for sure okay man i greatly appreciate it yeah thanks for coming on josh i appreciate it too all right, thanks, buddy. And there you have it, another great episode. Josh Prophet, thank you very much for coming on and talking. You know, every time I do these podcasts and talk to these guys, you know, I feel like I have a new hunting buddy. And a lot of these guys that I've never even met before, after we do the podcast, we still text, we still call, we talk to each other. Um, just the other day, Caleb Byers and I, we were talking and uh, about the deer he's got on camera this year and boy he's got some doozies i'll tell you and and uh josh is just another one of those guys he's really down to earth and you know i was talking about wanting to get him back on the podcast we already got it in the books so we're going to be doing it here in october um after hunting season gets going and he's got some big years going after and hopefully he can knock another one down with some traditional equipment and and uh, like i said i, I kind of want to do a you know, a rut roundup or something like that and just kind of see what all the deer are doing in different parts of the world and, and uh, just kind of do it real time, you know, record it one day and get it up the next, you know, just just do it real quick and, you know, shorter episodes, 20 to 30 minutes and just get it in and out and just so just little bites of information that everybody can hopefully put in their back pocket and take and just kind of see where the rut or the deer movement is in that area. As I'm sitting here, just now the power went out we've got a really bad storm <laughs> and the power the lights literally just went out and they come back on so <laughs> but uh thank you everybody for the support please go to itunes leave a leave a five star rating and uh, leave a review and i love the feedback like i say every week and and don't forget next wednesday we got an all new episode on the fall podcast thanks guys